Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody this evening. Glad to have you joining with us there on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, on YouTube, any of those channels. Glad to have you there with us. Uh, be sure to heart, to like, to share, to subscribe, to follow us, uh, as well as to uh, subscribe there on YouTube. Click that notification bell. That way you'll get those notifications when they go live. And then thank you for joining with us also uh, on our phone live streaming. Uh, glad to have you with us there. Also, if you need that number, call our church office at the number you see on the screen. We'll be glad to give that to you. If you need that in person, uh, please see me after the worship service and you can give that to me afterwards. Am I echoing a little bit? Been <laughs> quite a bit, I think. Okay, <laughs> and that may be just the acoustics in here now without all the pews in here, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> so, uh, but just want to remind you also that you can go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download the worship bulletin for this week. Uh, lots of upcoming events, and it even goes into August with some of the things uh, coming up. We've got a lot of th events that are coming up soon. Uh, want to pray for our youth tonight. They are uh, over at Trinity Baptist in Manchester uh, meeting for a youth event over there, uh, so keep them in your prayers. Uh, you can also download uh, the Children's Worship Bulletins there at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Uh, be sure to get those downloaded there. They're in the windowsill over here uh, if you want to get the paper version, uh, or you can share the link there uh, also from the church uh, website. And then don't forget this. This is our prayer list. That's under that info tab. I want to encourage you to get that downloaded. Uh, it'll be on Facebook that we'll be uh, looking at the live there to get any uh, requests that you may have. So I uh, just want to encourage you to make any requests for prayer uh, on Facebook Live. You can do it on any of the others. You can send us an email, however you want to do that. You can call the church office even. Uh, but what, for the live time, we'll only see those uh, on Facebook. So you can go ahead and begin commenting. You don't have to wait till our prayer time. Uh, you can go ahead and do that. But do get your prayer list downloaded so you can see who all is on the prayer list as we have added a few to the prayer list. And uh, also don't forget that while you're there on our church website, you can do your online giving. Go to that far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab there. Easy platform there to do that with. You can do that in person. The offering envelopes are in your uh, in the windows, so be sure to pick up one of those if you need to give your offering tonight. Brother Mike, if you'll come.
was on a minute ago <laughs> when I left it, so I was just hoping that it was still on. Hopefully, you had a moment to get your prayer list uh, downloaded. I was getting a few messages <laughs> at the time uh, during the song, too, from some others who were giving us prayer requests, and then getting Facebook Live up on my device so that I can be able to see uh, along with you if anyone is uh, giving those uh, requests. So hopefully, if you're there with us on Facebook Live, uh, be sure to give us any requests that you may have. Uh, there and we'll be be able to get those uh, updated uh, tonight here on the live. Uh, let me just um, remind you of a few that we have uh, on the bottom of our HBC Highland Baptist Church family side. Uh, one remember Phil Henderson, who's going to be having knee replacement surgery, uh, and I believe that's later this month. So we want to uh, keep him in your prayers uh, as he's going to be having that. Uh, Sandra Wells also has some kidney stones and I have not heard yet about the scheduling of her surgery uh, but they are looking at doing that as well as she has a torn tendon and then also we've added uh, for tonight Kathy Hasty uh, who's going to be having surgery on July the 25th so we want to remember her uh, in your prayers and then also Leona Ross uh, from what I was told is in the hospital in Michigan uh, we have her uh, granddaughter uh, who is on the prayer list also, Tammy Sparkman, uh, who is in the hospital who has bone cancer, so we want to continue to remember her uh, in your prayers uh, also. I don't see any right there on Facebook, but I'll check it again uh, in just a moment. Uh, but do want to remember uh, that one, Debbie, uh, Tammy Sparkman. Uh, as you continue on down your list on the Highland Baptist friends and family, uh, we have Bill Hargrove, who is Ann Smith's father, uh, who has some medical issues. Uh, Matthew Ratcliffe, who's still recovering from his car accident, but is doing much better at home uh, and still continuing to go through therapy. Uh, Oliver Nagy has improved, then went backwards, and is where now? Okay, so they'll do blood work again, we believe, next week, and they'll know where he's at. So just continue to keep him in your prayers. And then Jake? Okay. So Jake uh, Campbell, who's on the friends and family side there, uh, she's in a lot of pain, but they don't think he'll have to have surgery, uh, just a lot of extensive rehab uh, that he'll have to do. And then also remember Laura Hendricks, who has some medical issues. That's the daughter of Becky Moffat. And then Hunter Cruz, uh, who is my cousin, Cindy Cruz, who's further up the list there, uh, who has cancer. Uh, he also has uh, cancer. Uh, too, and they had to remove a part of his uh, colon. And then uh, one of the other messages that I got during the uh, time of singing there is that uh, Miss Carolyn Stone uh, is at Harton. She's getting some meds changed. Uh, she has AFib. Uh, she may be there a couple of days. Uh, but and any other thing you want to share? That's about it. Okay. So do want to remember uh, them in your prayers. Um, and then also continue to remember those in the nursing home, our assisted living, Mary Campbell, Peggy Eggleston, Susie Barton, Bertie Davis, and Miss Janet Carter, uh, who's at NHC at the rehab there. She continues there. Any others that we need to mention tonight or add? Yes. Okay, some unspoken. There may be many that have unspoken. And if you have any issues on Facebook or YouTube or any of those uh, with not hearing things, go back to Facebook and comment there. That's where we can see you live 
uh, to make any changes that might need to be made to, but I think we have everything running right now. Any other updates? Any other prayer requests? Okay, just know that you can share those requests anytime on Facebook there. Uh, if we don't forget, we'll go back at the very end and, and just double check Facebook there to make sure there's no more uh, requests that maybe you added during this time of the sermon. Uh, so we'll mention those at the end if we do see those. Uh, but just want to go to the Lord now in prayer for these needs, uh, as well as many others that may be on your hearts, some unspoken needs uh, that you have also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you are who you are. Lord, that you are a holy and a righteous God who expects us, Lord, to be a holy and a righteous people. Uh, you've commanded us in your word to be holy because you are holy. And yet, Lord, when we look into the reflection of your word and your truth and compare ourselves to you and to where we are, we acknowledge, Lord, we are nowhere near where we need to be in our relationship with you. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have sinned uh, in our life. We have sinned against others. And more importantly, we have sinned against you. And so, Lord, we want to come before you tonight as we uh, come before your presence to first and foremost confess any sins that may be in our hearts because we, Lord, want to intercede on behalf of these that are on our prayer list. We want to pray effectual, fervent prayers on their behalves. And Lord, we don't want anything to hinder our prayers with you. And yet you've told us in your word that if we regard or hold on to iniquity, to sin in our hearts, uh, if we don't deal with that sin, if we don't confess it, repent of it, then you will not hear from heaven. It works as a, as a, as a block between us. And so, Father, I pray that we would see whatever things may be in our thoughts, in our actions that are sinful, uh, in our words maybe that we've said, uh, or maybe things, Lord, that we didn't do that we should have done uh, that were sinful. For us to know to do good and to do it not, you've told us in your word, that is sin. And so, Lord, whatever sin may be in our hearts, uh, we pray that you'll bring it out into the light of your truth, that we could confess it and deal with it before you do. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to come to that place of acknowledging it, confessing it, repenting of it, turning away from it. And Lord, may we receive the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that you offer to us. Father, we ask you to wash us and to cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, to set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would take who we are, everything about us, everything that we are, and use it, Lord, as a willing sacrifice to you uh, to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we want to come on behalf of each one of these that are on our prayer list tonight, as well as those other needs that were mentioned tonight, even the unspoken needs. Father, you know our hearts, you know our lives, and maybe there are others who have those unspoken needs who didn't mention those. But Lord, you know our hearts and our lives and the troubles and the trials that each one of us are going through. And so, Father, we just ask tonight that you will uh, just have your hand upon us, your loving hand upon us. Lord, we pray that you'll uh, surround each one of these people with your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, we pray that you will pour out your grace upon them for your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And Lord, we know that you are capable and able. There is nothing that is happening in anybody's life that we're praying for tonight 
that is not beyond your ability to take care of in some way, some shape, some form to bring glory to your name and to bring good into those individuals' lives. So we uplift them to you, Lord, and we ask that you would do that very thing, not just for their sake, but more importantly, for your name's sake, that it might be a witness and a testimony of who you are and that we would testify, Lord, of the, of the many answered prayers that we uh, go through every week as we uplift these people. Uh, Father, you know their hearts and you know their lives, and we have heard and seen the good reports of, of healing in people's lives, and so we just want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing uh, in their lives. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us in whatever way that we can to, to be a ministry to these people, to show them the love of Christ, to walk alongside them as some of them may be going through life's darkest valleys. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just surround them with your peace and your presence and your love and use us, Lord, uh, to be those hands and those feet, uh, to minister to them in whatever way that we can, uh, through our words, through our actions, however that might be. And Lord, we just pray that you will uh, use that witness that we share with them to encourage them that if they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that through these events they're going through, may they turn to faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If they do know Christ, Lord, then we just pray that you will draw closer to them and they would draw closer to you and they would know that you are with them. They would be reminded in their hearts that you've never left them nor forsaken them. Father, for those that are in the hospital even now, we just ask, Lord, your peace that passes all understanding to be upon them. Be with doctors and nurses and caregivers who are taking care of them. And Father, give them wisdom and discernment as they uh, take care of them to be able to know the proper care uh, that needs to be there for them. But we know that you are the great physician. And so we just ask for your healing hand upon each and every one of them. Lord, uh, be with those who are, who are not able to be out and about to even be able to come to church uh, on Wednesdays and Sundays and maybe even just Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll be with them and lay a special blessing upon them too, those who are in our nursing homes uh, also. And Father, we just pray that you'll uh, encourage their hearts to let them know that we have not forgotten them, but more importantly, you haven't. And so, Father, I pray that you will be with us tonight as we once again turn to the book of Micah. Father, this is such a wonderful, powerful, uh, small book in the Old Testament, but yet, Lord, has such a, a, an applicable message for us and where we are today. And so, Father, I pray that you will just uh, pour out your truth and pour out your word tonight. Make it be alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. May we see the application for our lives. May we be encouraged for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as we draw closer to the day, the day, Lord, that draws near for us to go home to be with you or the day that Jesus comes again to take us home to be with you. And so, Father, we pray that in either case, we will be faithful stewards, faithful servants until that day comes, until the trumpet sounds. And, Father, we pray that your will be done in our hearts and our lives. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Micah, as we said. Micah and chapter 4. Uh, we're halfway through here, the book of Micah, and we've got a lot uh, left to go. I've entitled the message tonight, The Coming Promises. You know, as we think about uh, the book of Micah, uh, he is a prophet. He is speaking prophecy which is forthtelling. Uh, he's telling uh, the, the gospel message to the people, the truth of the judgment that is coming uh, upon them. 
uh, but he is also foretelling some of the prophecies, some of the things that are yet to pass uh, with the judgments that are going to happen on the nation of Israel, but not just the judgments. In fact, when you look through the Old Testament, uh, that is so often the thing that, that people talk about when they look at the Old Testament. Oh, this God in the Old Testament, he seems to be an angry God. He seems to be a God who's just always meeting out justice uh, upon people, and it never seems to be about love. Well, every single one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, the minor prophets or the major prophets, and again, we say that that's not minor in their message, that's just minor in their size compared to the major books, each one of those has the message of God's holiness and justice, but it also has the message of God's love and God's grace. You just have to look at it and see it that's there and not get so bogged down in the judgment that is coming upon uh, the people. You know, we spend so much of our day, uh, whether we're at work or whether we're at home, doing this. Checking the clock. What time is it? Is it time to eat yet? Is it time to go to work? Is it time to get off from work? Uh, is, is, is my spouse getting ready to come home uh, from, from their work? Uh, we're looking at our clocks. I wonder what the children are doing right now. Uh, they should be here at a certain place or a certain time. We're always looking at our clocks and always checking uh, time. Because so much of our lives is controlled by the number on the clocks because uh, there are things attached to those numbers. They tell us when it's time to wake up. They tell us when it's time to be at work. It tells us when it's time for meetings, when it's time for appointments. They tell us when we can go to lunch, when we can get off work, when we can go home. It points to upcoming deadlines for projects. Uh, and they tell us when it's time to go to bed. Well, the Bible is concerned with time as well. Not so much uh, in terms of hours and minutes or in days or years, but more in seasons, in epics, in periods or events, much larger type times than even decades or even centuries sometimes. You know, th those things are important. Uh, those, those periods of, of time are important. They're set and they're determined. And God has placed those times into the history uh, of our calendar. Uh, God hasn't shared his calendar with us so that we can pinpoint them and say that uh, on January the 28th, uh, the trumpet's going to sound and Jesus is going to come again. That'd be a great birthday present for me. <laughs> so now you know my birthday again. Put that out there. <laughs> you know? He doesn't tell us an exact day, an exact time. He doesn't say he's going to come at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He doesn't say when we're looking at prophecies, well, this is going to happen in, in this year, uh, in, in the year 30 A.D., uh, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon that this is going to happen with Jesus. He doesn't tell us those kinds of specifics. There are some specifics that give us close to that in some of the uh, prophecies, but he doesn't give us those exact times. And so because of that, we can't postpone them. Uh, we also can't reschedule it. God has simply told us that there are some big, important days that are coming. Now, over the last few decades, one of the, the newer fads that's happened with, with weddings or big events is that people will send out these things called a save-the-date card. You've seen those? Uh, it seems like those have only come out in the last couple of decades here, the last uh, 10, 15 years or so. It's not a normal invitation. It's just a, a casual, preemptive invitation, if you will, to let you know there's an important day that's coming out there. You need to keep that day in reserve because you might get an invitation to come on that particular day. Well, in Scripture, 
God does that too. He tells us that there are some big days that he wants us to be mindful of. He just hasn't shared the day, the month, the year with us. All we know is that it could come at almost any moment. Here in Micah chapter 4, after a very discouraging message in Micah chapter 3, because if you go back to chapter 3 and you only stayed at chapter 3, you'd see all the judgment that God is going to bring. You'd see all the, the wickedness and the sin that has happened uh, that is bringing this judgment. And, and you would think, man, this guy just, is, that's all it is, is doom and gloom. Uh, hellfire and brimstone. There's no hope. There's no uh, message of the gospel here. Well, uh, in chapter 4 here, after all that discouraging message in chapter 3, uh, one where he prophesies Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and left desolate, now in chapter 4, Micah begins to offer a message of hope. Uh, he, he hands all of us, if you will, in chapter 4, a save-the-date card for a big day on God's calendar of redemptive history, uh, the minus the date part, of course. And so Micah calls it the last days. Uh, we've talked about that before, uh, that, that in the other uh, minor prophets we've seen that. Joel especially uh, is one who, who refers to uh, the last days. So in reading uh, this passage, especially after the indictments of the words of judgment against them, uh, in the first, against the people in the first three chapters, the picture painted by Micah in this fourth chapter is going to bring some welcome relief and hope. And it's good to know that we have, as well as Israel had at this time, a hope-filled future, especially when we today are stuck in the chaos of the present that we live in. You know, we say it often, life is hard. It's not easy. There are so many different ways that we can get bogged down. We get stuck in the mud holes of, of suffering and disappointment and failure and sin, sin of ours and sin of others, and, and, and opposition to our faith. And life can be very discouraging if we let it. Discouragement can begin to set in, and you begin to lose sight of the hope that's out there. You know, it's almost like uh, what, what we read about in the New Testament where, where the, 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 the thorns grow up amongst God's Word and begins to choke out the Word of God. It's like it's choking out the hope, all the discouragement that we see uh, around us. Hope is such a big part of our lives, always has been. Think about it. When, when you were young uh, and you were just a little child, you were always looking forward to the next stage of life. I mean, we, we couldn't wait to get older, could we? Uh, because you saw the things everybody else was doing. And, and when you tried to do them yourself, what would you hear? No, not now. When you get older, when you get bigger, uh, when you're stronger. And because of that, we always looked forward uh, to, to being a little bit older, to being a little bit bigger, to being a little bit stronger. And, and when you got a little older, you found out that being big enough to push the lawnmower and, the, and, and to hold the weed eater wasn't all it was cracked up to be. <laughs> you, know? you thought, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. Till you're out there in the sweating heat <laughs> and it's beaming, beaming down on you and you're having to do that. Uh, and so uh, you, you couldn't wait to drive. Think about that. You, know, you couldn't wait to drive. You couldn't wait for the open road. You couldn't wait for dating. You couldn't wait for freedom. You couldn't wait till you get out of this house, out from under your parents. And then you realize that the car didn't give the freedom you wanted to. So you were looking ahead to graduation, looking ahead to a job, looking out to moving out, a life on your own. 
And then you get out there and you find that's not all it was cracked up to be. You thought it was all easy uh, once you got out there on your own. You know, how many of you, uh, there's a lot of us in here tonight, I'm not at that place yet, that are retired. And you thought retirement was going to be easy. <laughs> and that hasn't been easy. You know, it seems like maybe you even work more than you did uh, before. Well, you know, you think about retirement because uh, the job and moving out uh, brought more responsibility than you imagined. You know, we're always dreaming and longing for something better than what our cir current circumstances are. And with each new stage of life, we shift our eyes and, and we're hoping towards a future event, one that we believe is going to bring what we desire. Is that the byproduct of discontent, of selfish desires? Maybe, maybe not. Could it be something God-given? Uh, we, we keep looking ahead, hoping for something beyond what we can see. Uh, we keep longing for things to be better. You know, we want what's wrong with this world to be fixed. We want uh, the discontentment of our hearts uh, to, be, uh, to, to, to find contentment. Uh, and so uh, we, we long for those things. And we look to the future hoping, but we also uh, knowing that this world will not bring and this world cannot create and this world cannot provide what we're looking for. Only the Lord can provide those things that we're really looking for. Well, Micah, as does Isaiah, describes such a future event, a future day, one that ought to stir our hearts and ignite our imaginations. Here's Micah, who moves from the message in chapter 3 about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's already mentioned a little bit about uh, the destruction that's happening up in the northern uh, kingdom. He had told us back in chapter 2 that it spread down to the southern kingdom like a cancer. It spread down to them now, and Assyria is going to come down against them also. Uh, they're not going to be able to get victory over Jerusalem itself, but eventually he's telling them about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and and to, speaking from then to the last days uh, when there will be a new Jerusalem. Uh, he tells us about there's going to be a rebuilt temple at the heart of the righteous kingdom of the Messiah. Uh, the period known as the last days began with the ministry of Christ and one day it's going to climax with his return to establish his kingdom on this earth. And so what the Lord does here through Micah in chapter 4 is he gives his people four promises. Now we're only going to look at three of those uh, tonight. The, the next one goes on into chapter 5. We'll look at that one next time. Uh, but we're going to look at these three that are listed in chapter 4. The first thing he promises them is a promised kingdom. A promised kingdom. You see that in verse 1 down through verse 8. And so let's begin here, if you will, and we'll just read all these verses uh, together. We'll come back to some that we may need to uh, look at a little more in depth. But verse 1 down through verse 8. He says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, speaking about what's out there in the future, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the, in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Now, when you go back to verse 1 there and you read the description that he's giving, you begin, if you know the topography of the land uh, there, as we've studied before, uh, back in verse 1 there, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, he's talking about Mount Zion, he's talking about the mount where the temple uh, is built. Uh, he's saying that that is going to be uh, above all. So the situation uh, of these two little Jewish kingdoms, the north Israel, the south Judah, uh, was hopeless when Micah delivers this message. At the setting of what's happening here as he's delivering this message, Assyria is about to pounce on Israel, the northern kingdom, to put an end to that nation. And then the Assyrian army is going to destroy Judah, almost take Jerusalem, but God's going to intervene and they'll have to go back to fight some battles back at Assyria. Uh, and he keeps them from doing that. But then later Babylon comes in and does destroy Jerusalem. So one of the things we learn from that is when the outlook is grim, we need to try the uplook. Not the outlook, but the uplook. And so Micah encouraged the people to look ahead. Look ahead. Look forward to what God has promised his chosen people. God had promised that this nation would be united. The people would return to their land. He says he's already told them in chapter 3. That's irreversible. Judgment is coming. You are going to be scattered. You are going to be taken. But there will be those who will be brought back. The nation will be united. People will return to the land. Jerusalem will become the world's most important city. The temple will be rebuilt. And the true worship of Jehovah, of Jehovah God, would be restored. Instead of the Gentile nations fighting the Jews, he says they're going to stream to Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping God and for hearing his word. Uh, there's going to be peace among the nations because they're going to obey God's truth. They're going to submit to the Messiah's rule, uh, and they're going to destroy their instruments of war. Now, when you read that description of what he's talking about that's going to happen out in the future, you have to ask yourself, has that happened yet? Well, parts of it may have, but the fullness of that prophecy has not been completed yet. They, uh, has the ha they're still fighting over there to this day. Uh, they haven't uh, taken their instruments of war and destroyed them. Every Jewish family uh, wanted to achieve what Micah described in chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, to, to be able to have that kind of peace, a pleasant home with a productive garden in a peaceful land. Uh, but even more than peace and economic stability was the blessing of knowing the Lord and obeying the Lord. Verse 5 said, For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we, God's people, will walk in the name of, our, of the Lord our God forever 
and ever. Now, that verse doesn't just refer to the future because the kingdom age of all the nations will worship Jehovah. It is an affirmation of faith on the part of the true believers, the remnant of the land, during that day. And so even though the remnant of Jews might, be, might have been small, might have been weak, might have been lame, he says, God, he says God is going to gather them from all the nations. He's going to make a mighty army out of them, verse 6 down to verse 7. The Messiah is going to rule over them. Jerusalem is going to become this glorious capital city of his kingdom. Uh, Jerusalem, you remember, had once been David's capital city, uh, the shepherd king who cared for the flock. But if you go back and you look at the history of Israel, after King Josiah, not one of his four successors was a godly man. The Messiah, the son of David, though, is going to one day reign from Jerusalem and care for his flock uh, as a faithful shepherd king. And so Micah is describing here something that's going to partially happen for the nation of Israel out in the future as they come back to be restored after the captivity from Babylon. But he's also talking about the ultimate fulfillment that is still out in the future. So he's describing a hope-filled future for God's people. Now, this passage is somewhat confusing because it's like a road sign that's pointing us toward our ultimate destination, but it doesn't tell us how far away that destination is. Uh, but along the way, there are three or four places along the way that make us stop and ask, is this the destination? Is this where God was leading us? Is this the destination for this prophecy? Is this event that happened in history the fulfillment of this prophecy yet or not? And so that's the debate that scholars have uh, over uh, the, the minor prophet uh, Micah in his book, in the words uh, of his prophecy. Uh, they, they debate this uh, over this passage uh, as with others like it. Some see... Micah's words of prophecy as being fulfilled in various places and times in Israel's history. The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the Babylonian captivity. Those are things that they're saying that's where uh, these, these prophecies were fulfilled. The return of the remnant, uh, the rebuilding of the city and the temple. Uh, or in the first coming of Jesus Christ and the subsequent birth of the church and its explosive growth over the, the first years. Others see it as a reference to Jesus' future reign on this earth during the millennial reign that we read about uh, in the book of Revelation, all of which are a prelude to final glory with the new heaven and the new earth that's described in the very end of the book of Revelation. Now, as of right now, I don't see these promises being completely and finally fulfilled in Israel's history, whether that's the distant past or, or the recent uh, present history, uh, nor do I see them as being fulfilled by the church somehow spiritually. Now, uh, partially, these have been fulfilled. Uh, pre preliminarily, there have been some fulfillments, some foreshadowing uh, of the ultimate. Uh, but I see this as ultimately pointing us to the time when Jesus is going to reign on this earth before God brings all of, of the things in this earth to their end and even more uh, that glorious rebirth and, and new beginning there. When it comes to prophecy, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be all of the above. And I believe that's exactly what we see because we've talked about this before. With prophecy, uh, the situation has often been likened to, to a person who's, who's looking at a landscape and you see a succession of, of hills after hills after hills or mountains after mountains after mountains. Uh, from one angle, each peak uh, of the mountains seems to lie immediately in front of the next one uh, or behind the next one, uh, behind the one in front. 
But if you take and turn around and you're able to look at it from a different angle, if you were to look at those mountains from a different angle, you can see the valleys that are between them. Some of the valleys are narrow. Some of the valleys are, are hugely wide, uh, maybe miles wide. And, and between those successive summits that had first seemed so close. It may be also that with Micah's visions uh, is, is that first type of viewpoint, which he's not allowed to see the valleys. And so as he's giving this prophecy, his description merges with the various periods when the Lord will intervene in history. Uh, but certainly the prophecy wasn't completed at the return of the Jews from Babylon, uh, even though in such an event you can easily see a partial fulfillment of it. Uh, you can have partial fulfillments that serve as encouragement for our hope, uh, reminding us in, in real time, in history, and in the picture of the church, that God keeps his promises and God fulfills his word. And so there are signs all along the way that are reminding us as you begin to see those things more and more being fulfilled, we're on the right road. And that brings us the assurance we need, especially when it seems like the distance between the, val between the mountains, the valleys, uh, it seems sometimes longer uh, than, than what we thought it should be. You know, we've been saying Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is going to come again. We've been saying that for 2,000 years. And some use that as an argument. You've been saying he's coming for 2,000 years and he's not come yet. Where is he? And, and we would say he still is coming. He's still fulfilling his prophecies. Uh, it's not been completely fulfilled. And so what he's saying in these verses here is that this time is going to be a time when God is supreme among the nations. God is going to be at the center of it all. That's what you're seeing in verse 1 down through verse 3, that God is going to be recognized as the one who is above it all. Now notice what he says there. Nations are going to come to him. Nations are going to come to him. Nations are going to come to Jerusalem to learn God's ways so they can walk in his paths. The nations, the Gentile nations, he's saying, are going to one day be drawn to the word and to the, to the word of God and the ways of God. And the very thing the people in Micah's day had rejected and trampled on, the Gentiles are going to follow. Not only will the people come to learn, uh, but take back what they have learned. Uh, God's law is going to go from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And we still see that being fulfilled even today as the word of the gospel continues to go out through the church uh, around the world. And so from this knowledge flow the blessings that we find in the rest of these verses and scattered throughout the remainder of this chapter. God, when God is supreme and his word becomes the law of the land, good and amazing and miraculous things happen. James Montgomery Boyce uh, said this about this passage. He said, the basis for true peace is not a balance of arms. In other words, not having a balance of, of, of we have the same nuclear weapons that Russia has and having that balance to keep us at peace. The basis for true peace, he said, is not a balance of arms, though in a corrupt world that probably has its place. He said the basis for true peace is the knowledge of the law of God and obedience to that law and the gospel. He said when that takes place, people's hearts are changed and they desire peace and pursue it. That's why we could never legislate peace. It has to come from the inside, a transformation in the heart out, not from out without within. Now, can you legislate, can you legislate things that, that lead us in that direction? Sure. And that keep us from harming ourselves? Sure. Uh, that keep us from harming others? Yes. 
uh, but none of those things are going to produce the life-changing experience that needs to happen to bring true peace into our hearts and our lives until we trust in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and our Savior. And so he went on to say, when that takes place, people's hearts are changed and they desire peace and they pursue it and they enjoy it. And there will be freedom for more and there will be freedom, uh, there will be a peace in their lives. So uh, notice back again in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, he shall judge, speaking of God, shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And I can promise you that has not been fulfilled yet. We are still about war all around our world, but there is coming a day where there's going to be no more war. There is going to be peace. Uh, there was an article from several years ago that kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse uh, into what that may look like. Pedro Reyes, who was an artist in Mexico City, he, he transformed some weapons discarded by the Mexican army uh, for his project called Disarm. So far, he had transformed 6,700 guns that were turned in or seized by the army uh, and police into musical instruments. The guns came from uh, Ciudad Juarez, a city of about 1.3 million that averaged about 10 killings a day at the height of its drug violence. The article went on to say that Reyes said that the guns he used are just the tip of the iceberg of all the weapons that are seized every day and that the army has to destroy. Uh, the article said, but rather than succumb to the despair, Reyes took the very instruments used for violence and created instruments for music. Uh, Reyes, already known for a project in 2008 called Palace Por Pistolas, or Pistols to Shovels, uh, was a project that he melted down 1,527 weapons to make the same number of shovels, shovels to plant the same number of trees. Uh, Reyes stressed that his work is not just a protest, but a proposal. Uh, to me at least, Reyes said, the concept is about taking weapons that are destructive in nature and chaotic and trying to make them for something else. So instead of objects of destruction, they become objects of creation. Uh, art for Reyes is about transformation. He takes objects of destruction and transforms them into objects of creation. That's just a little glimmer uh, of people taking instruments of war that we read about here and turning them into useful uh, resources and tools that can be used to be productive with. And, and so he goes on to say there's going to be contentment in their lives. There's going to be contentment in the hearts of the people. Uh, th th there will be freedom from want. What do we mean there? Uh, look at verse 4 again. It says, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. In other words, his own vine, his own fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, the usage, we've talked about this before, of the vine and the fig tree is a way of saying that people are going to be secure, they're going to be prosperous, they're going to be content. In other words, every person is going to have enough for whatever they need and, and they're going to be satisfied. There's going to be no fear that somebody's going to take, come and take what's theirs uh, because those people are going to have enough themselves and are going to be satisfied. Has that ever happened? Not to my knowledge. We're still having people who are stealing because they want what someone else has. But he says that's what it's going to be like in this last day. 
One pastor makes the point that when national resources, money, materials, and men are no longer used for funding, building, and training armies or financing wars, it can be released, released for much more productive purposes. And so when there's no want and when there is no war, when peace is the law of the land, when fear is removed, Micah said, there is no one to make them afraid anymore. What a beautiful, amazing picture of a day that's going to be. When there's going to be such peace, no one will have to be afraid anymore. What guarantee, though, do we have that that's going to happen? Well, look at that last phrase of that same verse. God gives it there in the last part of verse 4. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. God, how do we know it's going to be? Because I said so. If God said so, it is so. If God says so, it will be so. God cannot lie. And so God gave the prophets here a glimpse into the future, even though it's almost like looking through tinted glass. He gave it not so it could satisfy our human curiosity, but to warn of the judgment that's to come if people continue down the path that they're down, going down uh, of, of unrepentance in their sins that, that chapter 3 talked about. And then also, as chapter 4 says, uh, the reason this vision is given, the reason this, uh, this glimpse has been given, is to encourage those uh, who, are his, who are his to, to keep the faith and to remain faithful and to stay hopeful uh, through all the difficulties of life. And so with that in mind, Micah doesn't give these words to simply tell us that we have a hope-filled future but also to teach us that we have a, a, a hope-filled future, that, that we can have a hope-fueled walk with Him, with God. And that, that having that kind of future affects how we live and walk in our lives today. And so He gives, secondly, a promised deliverance in verse 9 down through verse 10. Verse 9 says... Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of of your enemies. So notice here he does give a specificness of a place. Uh, it's the Assyrians who are coming down at this point uh, in the history, but he's saying, don't worry about them Assyrians. If you're down here in Judah, if you're down here in Jerusalem, don't worry about them. You better be worried about Babylon. Uh, Babylon's the ones who's coming to get you. And so you're going to be taken off to Babylon. So he gives, though, the promise of deliverance uh, to encourage them in their walk. Now, the city of Jerusalem, as we said, is called uh, Daughter of Zion. Many times cities are, are referred to as in the feminine uh, because it was a term of endearment that assured the people of God that God loves and cares for them no matter what might happen. But the city was in labor pains, like a woman giving birth to a child because the enemy has arrived. The enemy is capturing the people uh, and and that's happening all around in, in the southern part there of Judah, until, not for Jerusalem at the moment, but it's coming for Jerusalem, and they're going to take them from Jerusalem, and they're going to capture them from Jerusalem, and they're going to take them to Babylon in captivity in Babylon. However, he says, he's showing them, this exile, this time of going to Babylon is not going to be the end. 
In other words, it's not going to last forever. Uh, because God is going to redeem a remnant. He's going to bring them back to the land. Now, if the leaders had listened to the prophet Jeremiah and peacefully surrendered to the Babylonians, uh, they would have saved the city and the temple. But they resisted God's will, uh, and their city and their temple were ruined. Now, Jeremiah promised that the exile was only going to last 70 years, and then the remnant could return and rebuild the city and the temple. And, and all that does happen in the prophecies of what Jeremiah talked about and in what Micah is speaking here. But all that we endure that is painful and unpleasant, uh, though purposeful, we need to remember is temporary. I mean, when you think about childbirth and the pain that a woman is going through in childbirth, uh, it's temporary. As much as Samantha was reaching out and grabbing my arms and, and she was in such pain and she was giving me pain by grabbing my arms when she was in pain, it was only temporary. I mean, think about it. As we saw there in verse 9 and verse 10, you know, he's saying we shouldn't cry as, as if we have no king. We have a king who is a sovereign king. We have a king who's a victorious king. He's not an earthly king. He's the king of this universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But when we see, uh, he says, however, we see uh, there will be pain because of sin. Uh, the, the choices they made, there are going to be those consequences that are going to happen. They are going to be taken off. They are going to suffer as well. Uh, when it comes, uh, writhe and labor like one giving birth, he says. What? Why? That doesn't sound pleasant. Well, a couple of thoughts uh, that came to mind here is that, as we said, childbirthing pains aren't permanent. Uh, they're severe and they're intense, but they aren't forever. Childbirthing pains give way to joy, don't they? Because once the pain is done and you're holding that baby in your arm, you, you may still feel some pain, but it's overwhelmed by the joy of that little baby that you're holding in your arms. What a powerful image for us to see. There's great joy, not because necessarily... The pain is gone, but there's great joy because of what follows, what's birthed out of the pain. And that's the same in life. We groan, creation groans, longing for what? Well, Paul answers that over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 to verse 25, and he uses that imagery of the groanings of birth pains to illustrate it as well. Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing, for revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So out of the pain, out of the sin, out of the suffering, out of the fight with the enemy, out of the fight with ourselves, that internal struggle, God will rescue us. He has redeemed us for something better.
That's our hope, and that's the hope that we as believers are to live in every day. And he comes finally to the end here in verse 11 to 13 and gives them a third promise, the promised victory. Now there's a fourth we said, we'll look at it next week, but the promised victory. Look at verse 11. He says, now many Christians are assembled against you, many Christians, <laughs> many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. So once again, the prophet is looking down the centuries to the end times. And he sees his people being attacked by many Gentile nations. All of them gloating over Israel because they're sure Israel's down for the count. This is it. Israel is finally going to be defeated. The Jews are going to be defeated. They've been trying to be, defeat the Jews for, for generations and never have been able to do so. And so they come to the place where they think, this is it. It's all over. They're sure of victory. But they are ignoring Scripture. And they don't know God's plan for his people. Peter continually pointed, uh, pointed us to the scriptural inheritance, the spiritual inheritance that God has laid up for us. Uh, that living hope uh, was to encourage our hearts and to direct our steps. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So when we know, when we know that is our future, when, when things go wrong in life, and they do and they will, we don't have to respond to them as if we've been just defeated. You know, if bad things are going to happen. We don't have to look at those failures as final. We don't have to look at failures as defining. They're not defeats. Uh, those failures aren't final. They're setbacks. There's a big difference between experiencing a setback and a defeat. There's a big difference between a setback and completely failing. We may experience setbacks, and the church has sometimes experienced setbacks, but we will endure those hardships. And we may face intense opposition, but ultimately as believers, as the church, the Bible says in verse 11 through verse 13, we will be victorious. Now the great battle that he's talking about here is usually what we refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. When the battle is over, the victorious Jewish army is going to devote all the spoils to the service of the Lord. Israel is going to look weak and defenseless, but the Lord is going to make their soldiers uh, sharp threshing instruments to harvest the nations. God is going to give them horns, which is a symbol of power. He's going to give them hooves uh, so that they'll be able to have both power and speed as they attack their enemies and to be able to crush their enemies. Uh, it's the picture of an ox uh, with horns of iron. Uh, and so it's a symbol of strength and invincibility. Nothing stronger. Hooves of bronze to thresh out the, the wheat and to grind it uh, to find to just a fine dust or a fine flour. 
Now, I, I don't know what all that is going to entail, exactly how all that's going to look, but understand this, God is going to use his people Israel. God is going to use the church as an instrument of judgment on the nations, and it affects uh, how we endure uh, God's discipline and chastisement because he disciplines those who he loves. When we begin to understand that, that changes how we live. And, and having that kind of future affects how we endure suffering, how we endure disappointment. Uh, if we know without question the end of the story that we win, it affects how we face life's most difficult and challenging moments. If you know that in the end Jesus wins, and if we're with Jesus, we win, then out of the pain, out of the sin, out of the suffering, out of the fight with the enemy, out of the fight with ourselves, that internal struggle, God will rescue us. He has redeemed us for something better. That is our hope. Keep your focus on the end and live in light of that truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. And Father, sometimes we know it's very easy for us to get distracted amongst the chaos of this life. Father, we forget that the battle has already been won. The battle was won at the cross. It was won when Jesus came out of the tomb to give us victory over death, hell, and the grave. And the worst thing that we could think that could happen to us today, death physically, for a Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we begin to learn this truth and we begin to learn that what Micah was sharing with the people of Israel here was it's not the end. Yes, there's judgment coming, but it won't be the end. If you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, yes, there is judgment that is coming, but you will spend an eternity with him in heaven in a place of peace, in a place of rest forever and ever and ever. No more sin no more suffering, no more discouragement. Father, I pray that that truth will begin to impact our hearts to change us, Lord, about how we're living in light of any obstacle that we face in this life, to pray about it, to trust you with it, and Lord, to let you have it and work it in your way to bring glory for you and good to us. And Father, I pray that we'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have a better plan for us. And you're going to use whatever suffering we may be going through here ourselves. Lord, help us to remember there's people around this world who are suffering far more than we ever suffered for your name's sake. And Father, I pray that we will understand that truth and live in the light of that truth, in the light of the victory that we already have in Jesus Christ. Not to live in defeat and discouragement, but to live in victory and in hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us tonight online there. I hope you enjoyed the message tonight. We'll be back again Sunday at 1030 for our worship service. But come and join us for Sunday school. Uh, we've got all these chairs down here. We'd love to see them all filled up. Uh, so uh, you come and join us at 1030 on Sunday morning. We'll try to get that filled up. We still don't have chairs up in the, in the balcony, so just be reminded of that. So when you do come in, if you've not visited with us before, we'll be down here on the lower platform. Come and join us. We'll have a wonderful worship service together. You have a safe week. Stay, stay safe, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.